Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. We've been spending a lot of time in the Old Testament, and we're kind of shifting gears today and spending a little bit more time in the New Testament, talking about what it really looks like, talking about what Jesus talks about blessing. So in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus preaches the most extensive message of his ministry. It's, there's, there's more devoted to this narrative than any other narrative in the life of Jesus. A lot of people want to talk about the things that Jesus said. They want to talk about the life of Jesus. But what Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is, is what, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's the, it's the Sermon on a Mountain, and Jesus is, is preaching from this mountain in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, this is where it starts off. And we're going to be talking about the Beatitudes today. I'm going to go into a little bit about, about what that talks about. But, but it's interesting that during the Old Covenant, when God established the Old Covenant through Moses, what happens? Moses goes up alone to a mountain, and God gives him, one person, the law to take back for all the people. Jesus, in the Sermon on the mount, God in the flesh goes up to a mountain, takes people with him, and establishes a new covenant for all the people. And what he has given us here in on the Sermon on the Mount could really be classified. I, I like the language that Mike Bickle gives it. He, he gives it, the, the, he says this, that the Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of the kingdom. And so what I'm going to encourage you to do is I'm going to encourage you this week to dig into Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Because you cannot follow Jesus and ignore what he taught. Come on, you can't follow Jesus because you have a picture on the wall or a wristband. This is what would Jesus do? do you, you can't even know what Jesus did unless you get into the scriptures to know what Jesus did, right? So here's Jesus, God of the flesh, right? Sharing from a mountain, teaching about virtues and blessing. Moses was teaching about virtues, morals. And if you did those things, you were blessed. So Jesus gives some depth, a new constitution, a new covenant, and in that also are blessings and virtues that are attached to those blessings. And all of us want the blessings without the virtues. But even Jesus, when he teaches us this new covenant, he is teaching us that blessings are attached to virtues. He's talking about the Beatitudes. This is where he starts off. And the Beatitudes are, are kind of the table of contents for the next three chapters, five, six, and seven. So Matthew chapter five, let's look at it. You ready? Yes. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came with him. So here's Jesus on the side of this mountain. His disciples are there. And he began to teach them. One translation says he opened his mouth. <laughs> I love that. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. (laughs) How does that work? Persecute and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So it says this, blessed. Blessed. Jesus says we are blessed. Now in the Old Testament, we talked a lot about that language. The word in the New Testament for blessed is this word, I can always say it great in my office when when I'm by myself. (laughs) Makarios or makarios, right? If you're of Latin descent, (laughs) which which means it's basically happy, blissful, literally to be enlarged, increase, blessed, deep joy of the soul. I like this language. A vibrant spirit. That we would have a full, vibrant, thriving spirit. And sadly, what we see a lot of times in the kingdom are people with a dull spirit. But Jesus says that you will be filled with vibrance, that you will be blissful, that you will have the life of increase. We're not talking about things, by the way. I think that there is a provision for things, but this is not the emphasis of his message. He didn't say blessed are those who have large houses and fat bank accounts. Although God may choose to bless in that way. What it doesn't mean is this. It doesn't mean fortunate or lucky. However, that's what the culture uses when they say blessed and they typically don't. I've had people over the years go, hey, I'm going to go apply for a job. Wish me luck. I won't wish you luck. First of all, I don't really believe in luck. I believe in purpose. (laughs) I believe intentionality. I believe in good work ethic that you put in the work. And then, so when you go to the job, you'll be ready for the job. I believe in that. But I also believe in blessing. So I won't wish you luck but I'll declare a blessing because we have the power to do that. You have the power to do that. And so I'll pray that you're blessed because praying that someone is blessed is a lot more effective than wishing them luck. And you say, well, it's all the same thing. It's not the same thing. And I would encourage you, beloved, that you would not adopt the language of the culture. I think it's time that we kind of I feel like that we've tried to be really relevant, but we haven't been very transformational. And I think a lot of that has to do with the language that we use. So I would encourage you strongly to remove the word luck from your language. Because probably if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't really believe in luck. You don't really believe in fortune, right? Like the stars align. 
I mean, if you want luck, go to a witch doctor. If you want blessed, go to the word. Come on. And so, and I, and language is important. And I think more than ever, more than any other time in human history, with more words being in front of us all the time and more words being spoken all the time, I think more than ever, it's important that we get the language right. So let's start speaking like we're people that believe the Bible. Let's start using biblical language. And I could keep going there, but I'm not going to. So understand the language of the culture, but don't adopt it. Because the next thing you'll be doing is adopting their practices, which some of you are in the habit of doing. I love you. I'm going to help you be blessed. <laughs> Come on. So this is the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age says, be blessed, do you. Right? I mean, that's kind of the idea, right? That's the big baggy t-shirt, I'm blessed. Have some cop- coffee and, you know, and a yoga pant latte. You know, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just being, I'm just being facetious. But listen, the spirit of the age is all about self-promotion and self-preservation. Just do you. It's all about your mental health. Is mental health important? Yes, 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 absolutely. But you don't get your mental health by putting yourself first. You know how you get your mental health? By putting Jesus first, by being filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on. That's how you get your mental health, but by, the, by the washing of the word and the renewing of the mind so you can start thinking like God thinks because he's really healthy and he has really healthy thoughts by being full of the spirit by living a life that God calls blessed so the message of the world and, 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 and this is the idea the idea is that is that I can if I can just make myself happy then then I'll be good for everyone else me first. But the problem is, is it's, a, it's a vortex of self-gratification, and it never ends. Because what I found is that people that are self-centered, it doesn't ever, it's a goal that's never reached. It's just this self-gratification. Why? Because you weren't designed by God to be self-focused, to be, for you to be the priority of you. And, I, and I've heard people try to sneak this into the New Testament. This, this value of self-priority. It's not to be found. Most of what the New Testament and what Jesus says about self is very negative. Die to yourself. Crucify the flesh. Bless those who hurt you. That sounds a little opposite than what the world is telling us. Listen, self-priority is, not, is a vice, not a virtue. Self-priority is a vice, not a virtue. And so one of the healthiest things that you can do is stop focusing on yourself. You want to be healthy? You know, you know when I'm not doing well? You want to know? When I'm not doing well, it's when I'm thinking about myself the most. And then I'll get before the Lord and I'm like, I'm not doing well. I'm not this, I'm not that, I don't feel this way, I'm not performing, I'm, I'm, oh, there's a whole lot of I in there. And the Lord's like, yeah, you, you, you've, you've done this with your eyes. It's a vice, not a virtue, it doesn't help you. So there's this scripture in Proverbs, I'm laying some groundwork, because what Jesus teaches from Matthew 5 through 7 is hard, 
It's not just, you know, it's not the scriptures that you put on your fridge. Should be. But he says it's a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So the proverb is this, if I will make it my goal in life to be a blessing, blessed to be a blessing, if I will make it my goal to bring encouragement to the room, guess what? When I need the encouragement, it's in the room. Why? Because I put it there. Some of you are wanting to walk into a room that you've never encouraged and expecting to get courage there, and you've never invested it. Some of you want to have a home that loves Jesus, but you've never shown what it looks like to love Jesus. And you just want to have all the feels. Well, you got to put the feels there. Who's going to put them there? So, (laughs) you got to put the blessing there. So these are the blessed attitudes that Jesus gives us, and there's actually eight And one of them he expounds on quite a bit. And we call these the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. The the, the Latin word is Beatus, which means blessed. These are the blessed attitudes. Some people would say they're the Beatitudes, the attitudes that we should have. The awesome thing about these attitudes is although they are difficult, God calls them blessed. He says, if you will have this way, it's the upside down kingdom. If you will do this, you will have God's blessing. People might not like you because of it. People might teach you differently, but if you do it this way, God calls you blessed. Y'all all all right? So these are lifestyle attitudes. Also get this, these are lifestyle attitudes. They're not something that we check off when we come to salvation and said, well, I was poor in spirit when I came to Jesus and now I don't have to be poor in spirit anymore. It's not the way it works. It's a lifestyle of saying, I will be devoted to these eight virtues. And if I will be devoted to these eight virtues, I will see the fountain of God's blessing in my life. I will see the favor of the Lord. I will have a vibrant spirit, not by putting me first, but by putting Jesus first in his teaching. So he starts off this way. Let's go through the eight. Eight points today. We've got to hurry. Number one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Who does the kingdom of God belong to? Those that are poor in spirit, which is totally crazy because they're thinking rich people get the kingdom. People that have it all together, the gifted, the talented, the lifestyles of the rich and famous. They used to have this show in the 80s. Some of y'all don't understand that. They used to have this show in the 80s called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Those are the ones that inherit the earth. In fact, it looks like they already did. No, Jesus said those that are poor, not just financial. He's not talking about money. Poor in spirit. Make sure that you add that indicator. Because just because you poor, you're poor doesn't mean you're blessed. And some people think, oh, the Lord's all of us. See, the poor people, the kingdom belongs. You're, you're getting it wrong. Don't be confused that, that, this, that this means economic destitute. No, poor in spirit. It literally means this, like a beggar in spirit. Like someone in their heart that says, I need something from you. And who do we need from? We need from God. We need God's kingdom like a beggar. Beloved, when was the last time you got into worship like a beggar? Now listen, we're not talking about being pitiful. We're not talking about having zero confidence. 
But we're talking about the posture of our heart that says, God, I am nothing without you. I am nothing without your blessing. I am nothing without your provision. Not pitiful, but humble. Because I've, trust me, I've seen what some people call poor in spirit, and it's not poor in spirit. It's pathetic in spirit, not poor in spirit. And it's just like, oh, I'm just, no, no, no. And a lot of times, really what it is, is kind of like a humble brag, right? It's like, they're just trying to look humble. And they're just talking about it all the time. No, no, in your approach to God, are you like, God, I am so needy of you. It's like blind Bartimaeus. That's not his name anymore, by the way. He's just Bartimaeus. It's Bartimaeus sitting outside of Jericho when Jesus comes into town and he says, Lord Jesus, son of David, don't pass me by. Poor in spirit. It's like the woman that had the issue of blood that is pushing through the crowd and saying, if I could just touch the, the hem of his garment, if I, could, if I could just get that close to Jesus, I'll have everything I need. This is what he's talking about, the poor in spirit. So we see all throughout the ministry of Jesus, people that are in need, they receive the kingdom. Don't lose your hunger. Don't lose your desperation for God. Listen, if we lose our dependence on God, we lose his blessing. And some of you at one point in time in your life, you came to the Lord like that, but then you got it all figured out. And then you thought you could do it on your own. And you wonder why you're not seeing the kingdom. And you wonder why you're not seeing God's blessing. It's because you grew independent. You grew stable. You stop being poor in spirit. The kingdom of God is reserved for those who are desperate for God. See, you can't get into this kingdom if you've got it all figured out. You can't get into this kingdom measuring good works. You don't get in that way. You get in by being poor in spirit, by being needy. Are you needy for God? I need him. I need him. I need him every day. He's, he's my life source. I need him. I, I don't need him just every day. I need him every moment of every day. And sometimes, sometimes I have to go through stuff in my life so I'll remember how much I need him. Some of you are in a season like that. What's awesome is that our God is a God who meets needs. You need need. You need need. Because need keeps you needy. <laughs> and we're needy of our great God. Amen? So don't lose your dependence. Number two is this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So there's a lot of, we, we grab this and we, and we attach it to mourning like we would suffer loss, like grieving that becomes mourning. I don't think that that's exempt, but that is not the point of the text. So one, one idea, the point of the text is this, is that the nation of Israel had been in mourning because they were, they were under the oppression of the, of the Romans. And so they were in mourning. This was their, their state of mourning because they didn't have a good king. And they were longing for the Messiah. So because of that, they mourned. It was part of their ritual lifestyle. It was part of the way that they lived out their, their faith. It was mourning. Uh, an, another thought on, on mourning is this, is that, is that uh, 
that we find comfort in Christ when we're mourning. And, and that is true. We know that Christ gives us the gift of the Father, right? The Holy Ghost, who is the comforter. Jesus purchased that for you. However, this scripture, this text is specifically talking about, if you will follow the thread and look at it in context and read, read the, the vibe that's going on through the Beatitudes, he's really talking about those who are mourning for their sins, so the, the Jewish people in that day, they would, when, when they sinned, they would walk around with sackcloth, which is like burlap, and they would put it on, and they, they would walk around with ashes because they were from the sacrifices, and they were just going around, and they were mourning their sins. The reason why they were mourning their sins is because there wasn't an adequate solution for their sins. So Jesus breaks it down and he said, blessed are those who are mourning for their sin, who are contrite and broken over their sin, they will be comforted. See, because if you understand that Jesus came to pay for our sins and destroy the work of the devil, then you can take comfort going, I am broken in my sin, I got Given and he goes, I have the solution for that. Now, if you're mourning, you have a reason to rejoice. But I encourage you in this don't lose your mourning over sin. Don't lose your mourning over sin. And we we tend when we get comfortable in our walk with the Lord we kind of get comfortable and complacency complacency sets in and we get into this place to where we're just we just accept our sins and we start making excuses for them like well it's cuz you know when i was a little boy or you know i just i really struggle with this Instead of saying, I'm, trying to, I'm struggling to get out of it, right? Oh, this is a weakness. It's really hard. It's really difficult. If I had this in my life, then I wouldn't behave like this. And so we, we kind of accept our sin. We, 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 and, or what happens is we just get kind of used to it. And we lose... The scriptural word for this is contriteness, brokenness of heart. And so what we do is we kind of, we, we adopt, and you kind of have two sides of the equation. You have people that are like always like, oh, I'm just such a sinner. Oh, oh, and I'm not, I'm not talking about that. And then you have the other side that goes, oh, I don't, you know, oh, I, I sinned today, but it's all, it's all covered by the blood, yada, yada, whoo Thank God that I'm forgiven. If you, would just, if you would just understand the grace message, you could be happy about when you sin too. That's a polluted grace message. Grace doesn't overlook sin. Grace empowers you to overcome sin. Write that down. Grace doesn't overlook sin. It empowers you to overcome sin. It's the mercy of God that forgives your sin. The problem is, is when we get comfortable in our sin and we get to this place where just we make excuses for it. Instead of getting before God and being sorrowful for it. And we will be comforted not just in the fact that our sin is forgiven, 
but that we are overcoming it because we're coming to him. Let me help you today. So David, when he sins, we know that David had, listen, you can have a heart after God. You're still going to sin. Can I tell you today, I'm prophesying, you are going to sin this week. What will your attitude about it be? Will it be, well, you know, it's just something I struggle with, or that's my personality type, or will you go, oh, I violated my covenant with God. We're not, listen, we're not talking about God looking at you and, and shaming you and pushing you down. We're talking about your posture towards the Lord when you sin, not at, not at a place of fear, not out of a place of shame, but you go, oh, I've sinned against the Lord. Father, I clicked on that picture on the internet. I zoomed in on that picture. Father, I had evil thoughts about that person. I was ugly to that man at the store. God, forgive me, contriteness. So David, the pursuer of God's presence, sins against Bathsheba, big time. Doesn't just sin against Bathsheba, he does something worse when he has her husband killed to cover up for his sin. And he gets before the Lord and it says, this is Psalm 51, 17, he says, my sacrifice, oh God. It's not a ritual that I go through, it's a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, Lord, you will not despise. David goes into this, this thought. He says, Lord, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me, but renew into me the joy of my salvation. God, I don't want to do anything that would hinder my love for you. We need to get like this, beloved, in the posture towards our sin. That we stop making light of things that God calls a big deal. God calls a big deal. And I think oftentimes we do. Well, it's just something I'm working through. Well, how about you trust the work of the cross and bring it before the Lord? And if you have to do it again tomorrow, you do it tomorrow. But let us never grow comfortable sinning. When we lose our sorrow over sin, we lose sight of the joy of our salvation. Ask God. Listen, if you don't feel bad when you sin, ask God to make you feel bad when you sin. You should feel bad about it. You shouldn't get in shame. You should feel bad about it. Because godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow leads to repentance. You know why that you haven't quit doing that? Because you've never got godly sorrow for it. You might have felt bad about it. You might have felt bad that you got busted. But did you go to the Lord and say, and it, you say, well, I don't feel bad about it. What am I going to do? You get before God and you say, Lord, give me the spirit of repentance. God, would you give me conviction? God, I want to feel terrible about this. So bad that I never want to touch it again. Have you, ever, have you ever hurt your spouse or your child or someone that you love dearly and you didn't realize you hurt them? And then they tell you, that really hurt me. And what is the worst thing you can do? You can make excuses. Well, I didn't know. Or you can say, oh, I love you. I'm so sorry that I sinned against you. That I made you feel that way. Beloved, this is contriteness. This is what God's after. And blessed are those who mourn. This is specifically what he's talking about, the mourning over sin, for they will be comforted. Then you know that, hey, I screwed up, but I don't have to go through a priest. The work's already been done for my sin. I can rejoice. Even though I'm mourning, I can also rejoice. And then when it's, once I'm comforted, I'm done with the mourning. 
And then tomorrow when the next sin comes up, I do the same thing. Because it's probably likely going to happen because we're all being worked on. <laughs> Are you being worked on? Then you're blessed. All right, number three. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, it's interesting. We, we mentioned this a while ago. You would think those that inherit the earth are the gifted, come on, the talented, the ambitious, those born into power, <laughs> those are born into money. That's, that's not who the kingdom is reserved for. Jesus is like, I'm building a new system. <laughs> I'm building a new system. Guess, guess who gets to run things? Guess who gets to run the earth? <laughs> Not the spirit of the world, the earth. Guess who the earth's gonna belong to? The meek. What is meek? Meek meek means this, strength under control. See, God is perfectly meek. God has the ability right now to take any of us out just by thinking about it. Boom, dead. Bye. But he's meek. He goes, (laughs) Mm, I love you. Let's come out of that. He's humble. He's gentle. He's lowly. This is, when we talk about all these characteristics of Jesus, we're talking about his meekness, strength under control. Our strength is under the control of the Holy Ghost. That's meekness in the kingdom. Gentleness, mildness of spirit. To have power over selfishness. And the promise is that for meek will impact and influence the earth. Not by being dogmatic. And isn't this the lie of our culture? You just, you gotta be a little bit louder. You gotta have another link to an article. You gotta have another YouTube video to show them. We think that that's gonna transform the world. It's not going to. Serving the world is what's gonna transform the world. And so this is what Jesus did. He said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And then he makes this statement. He said, I am the servant of all. I'm gentle and lowly of heart. Yet he revolutionized the planet and still today through meekness. Number four, blessed are those who hunger. Here it is again, that hungry thing. Oh, come on. That desperate thing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be filled. So what we're talking about when we're talking about righteousness, we know that we've, we have an inherited righteousness when we come to Jesus, right? The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But we also have a lifestyle and a practice of righteousness. Living out your identity is righteousness, right? So what we're doing, what we're saying is this, to press into God to experience more with him. That we're doing more with the Lord. That we're not content or lukewarm in our in our in our pursuit of righteous living. Our tendency a lot of times is we come in and we receive this inherited righteousness that we get. And then we just, and then as time goes by, our convictions and our standards lower. See, some of you had firmer convictions 10 years ago than you do right now. You know what happened? You stopped pursuing righteousness. Now it could have been legalism. It might've been. And it's easy to label every standard legalism. You can do it all day long. You could look at the Sermon on the Mount and call it legalism. You could do that. Oh, it's just a religious spirit. It's Jesus. Jesus is the best teacher of grace there is. 
He's the best preacher of everything. He's, what he teaches here in Matthew 5 through 7 is any book better than any book you've ever read on grace. It's better. <laughs> but have you grown complacent in your pursuit of righteous living? Or have you grown stagnant? Have you lowered your standards? Listen, God is longing for a people that are walking out holiness. Come on, that we be different than the world. Stop adapting. We've done a really good job of adapting to the world and a really poor job of transforming it. And you know where it starts? It starts in your pursuit of righteous living. So Paul, <laughs> the apostle Paul, I mean, he's like, he's doing pretty good. Wouldn't you say? I mean, he's like, he's pretty good at walking with Jesus. <laughs> I mean, a lot better than I am. And he says this in Philippians chapter three. He's talking about standards and he's talking about living righteous. And this is what he says. I press on to possess the perfection which Christ first possessed me. Christ possessed me. I'm, I've inherited righteousness, but I'm going after righteousness. It's here and it's coming. No, brothers and sisters, I, don't, I have not achieved it. In other words, it's like I have not arrived yet to God's standards. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting what's in the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. And I press on. Sounds like striving. Yeah. Oh, that's striving, brother. Yeah. Uh, there are some things we're called to strive towards. And one of those things is righteousness. We're not striving for God's approval. We're striving from it. I'm the righteousness of God, so I'm living out. I'm wanting to please the Lord. I'm wanting to honor the Lord. I'm wanting to live the blessed life. This is the blessed life, by the way. I'll press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. For which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. And this is the promise. That if we will pursue righteous living, that we will be filled. We will progressively experience more grace for righteous living. Because you can't do righteous living without grace. Grace is an empower. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's grace. And we're blessed in righteous living. The problem is, is we, we believe the spirit of the age that says you need to do what you want to do to be happy. And Jesus is saying, that's not the way it works. You live righteous, then you'll be filled. Then you'll have the full, vibrant life. You want the full, vibrant life? It's not going to be given by consuming what the world is feeding you. And we believe this lie that, that, that gives me permission to act like the pagans and to act like the heathens. We believe this lie that I will be happy and fulfilled if I do everything the world's way. And Jesus is saying, that is not the way to have the full life. The way to the full life is living righteous. It's having a standard in your life. They'll be filled. Number five, blessed are the merciful. <laughs> For they will receive mercy. When we sow mercy, we reap it. When we sow mercy, we reap it. Merciful towards those that annoy us. That's a hard one. <laughs> Some of you are a bit annoyed right now for like however long it's been. 30 minutes. You're like, 
is mercy. Mercy. Those that are different than us. Those that vote different than us. Those that are committed to God differently than us. Those that aren't living righteous. It's funny. Those that sin against us. Those that cut us off in traffic. The telemarketer on the phone who's reading a script, telling you, that's so hard. The customer representative, right there. Customer service. It's a hard one to be merciful towards. It's like, what service? What? Am I the customer here? Because I feel like that you are right now. I was, I don't, I'm trying to work this out of my mind. I thought that you got paid to help me. <laughs> Mercy. Oh, so hard. But the, the promise is this, that if I'm merciful, if I live a life of freely sowing mercy, I'll be a recipient of mercy. That double portion, come on. So Jesus says this, basically teaches us this when someone has sinned against us, that the goal of, of the kingdom is not just to forgive someone who harms you. We think, oh man, if I can just forgive them, I'm doing really good, I'm honoring the Lord. That's, that's the bottom rung of the ladder. It's like you just made the first step because Jesus says this, bless them. <laughs> what? Well, how can you do that? Because you've, you realize how much mercy you've got already. So not just forgiving, but blessing those that oppose us. Have you, have you ever blessed someone that hurt you really bad? Oof. So this is what he says. In chapter five, later on in the chapter, he says, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those. Some translations use the word bless right there. Bless those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your heavenly father. You wanna know what God acts like? He acts like mercy. (laughs) So you know how the world will know that we follow Jesus? Oh, because we... Fill in the blank. No, he says this. You're acting like true children of God when you're merciful. When you're extending more than, 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 than is deserved. So blessing those that oppose us. Number six. We're getting there. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The pure in heart. What is pure in heart? Purity of heart is this, morals, but not just purity of morals, purity of motives, not manipulative, not trying to earn influence, purity of morals, motives, purity of methods, the way it's lived out. So when Jesus gets into the teaching, He starts talking about stuff like lust, and he starts talking about stuff like anger. What's he doing? He's he's not just dealing with the methods. Now he's getting to the heart level. And he's like, listen, if you've had lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you have anger towards someone, it's like you've murdered them in your heart. I want purity of heart. 
Because those that are pure in heart, they'll see God. But Hebrews 12 says this, but be holy because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. What is holiness? Holiness is wholeness of purity. And we're all on the way. I hope you're on the way. Holiness, wholeness of not just doing the right things, having the right attitude about doing the right things. Because if you're just doing the right things and you don't have the right heart, you're just religious. And I'd rather you be just religious than you just be terrible. And, and, and sometimes, listen, sometimes we got to do the right thing before we get the right heart. So you don't follow your heart. That's how you lead your heart. You do the right thing, then your heart follows because you realize in doing the right thing, I can be blessed. That, God, that I'll experience God's favor. Manipulation, are you, are you manipulating? And so what happens is we see God through the lens, get this, of our purity. So what happens, I started wearing glasses like three years ago, right? And I'm just putting, some of y'all are cringing right now because you wear glasses, right? And it's like, I'm smudged my glasses up. And you are so blurry right now. Blurrier than a while ago because they were already messed up a little bit. They always are, right? And so they're like super smudgy. But I have a little thing in there that will help me out. <laughs> all, the, all the glasses wears. No. And, and I was like, I didn't realize when I started wearing glasses, I didn't realize how much of a pain it was to keep my glasses. But if I'm not careful, I get comfortable. And I can't see clearly. And so sometimes in our purity... Come on. Sometimes in our purity, we've got smudges and we just get used to them. And we don't see God properly. So Jesus later on says this thing about if your eyes are, are, are full of light, your whole body will be. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So when we act out these ways, what it does is it, is it hinders our view of the Lord. It smudges our glasses. Some of y'all will understand one day when you get old. Er. Old er, by the way, er. Old er. I'm not old. Older. Then he says this. Blessed are the peacemakers. Y'all okay? I know this is just verse by verse fun. Some people think I'm finally teaching the Bible. Some people think that. Verse by verse, it's the way the apostle, no, no, they didn't. Actually, look at Jesus. All right, so blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now, he doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers, because there's a difference between keeping peace and making peace. And, I, and we're confused in this nation to what unity is. We think we, that just means we don't talk about what we disagree with. That's not peace. You can only have unity by having peace. But... There are a lot of people in the kingdom that are not peacemakers. They're contentious. They're critical. They're competitive. Not competitive like they want to win the basketball game, but competitive in, in their views. And we get this critical spirit, and there's no peace. I've had to 
grow through this. <laughs> I speak from experience of one who's learning to not be so critical, to be more of a peacemaker. You know what, you know what, you know what I found? I found that I don't have to win every argument. I get on Facebook, I try to say a nice thing, and there's always that person that the only time they ever chime in is to disrupt and test me whether or not I'm a peacemaker or not. And there, there, listen, there are battles worth fighting. There absolutely are. There's some, it's not worth it. So Romans says this, 12, 18, he says, do all you can to live at peace with everyone. Do everything you can. There's some things you can't do. You can't forfeit the scriptures. You can't forfeit the nature of God. You can't forfeit those things. But there are some things that you can. And the, the contention that we have sometimes and we try to attach righteousness to it is not in line with a peacekeeping God. Do all you can to live at peace. And so I'm learning to just go, I don't even have to respond to it. I'm learning. Not there yet. I'm getting there. I'm learning to just be like, carry on. God bless you. Go ahead. I'm not going to change your mind here. <laughs> we know. <laughs> Beloved, you don't have to fight every battle. Right. Beloved, you don't have to fight every battle. Yeah. Listen, Jesus came to the earth. Get this. To make his enemies his friends. Wow. <laughs> That's a peacemaker. That's a peacemaker. It's the message of reconciliation. Second Corinthians chapter five talks about that we are ambassadors for this message, this message of reconciliation. I like to say that reconciliation is we are broke up and now we're back together. So God, listen, do you know that you were enemies with God until Christ came? So the thing is, is God came, Jesus came on the earth. Why is he the Prince of Peace? Because he came to establish He came to make things good with you. Not just okay, good, friends, no longer enemies. It's the message of reconciliation. Are we ambassadors to the message of reconciliation? Don't let the, don't let the culture hijack our language. The kingdom, the gospel, that you are at enmity with God. But God came, Jesus came to be right with you. For you to be right with him. To make things right. So we need to carry and possess this in our life that we are peacemakers, not peacekeepers. It doesn't mean we don't ever speak against sin. We need to. It doesn't mean that we don't ever stand up for the scriptures or the, or, or the nature of Jesus. We need to. But in anything that we can, let's do it. Let's be peaceful. Let's just shut our mouth about things that aren't that big of a deal. And this is why Paul says, he's like, don't get caught up in stupid arguments. That's a Josh Brown translation. Don't, don't, he said, don't get caught up in, in arguments that don't matter, that have no eternal value. See, people argue about the stupidest stuff. I'm like, really? Like, do you think that, that is representing the Lord well? I, I see so much slander in the body of Christ. Slandering the body of Christ. Do you think that that represents a God who made peace with his enemies well? Whenever these people are your brothers and sisters and you're accusing them all the time? And you don't even have any legit evidence? Or you're judging them on your preference? Come on. Peacemakers will be called children of God. 
We're children of God. Number eight, we're done. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Get this right. Because of righteousness. I know everybody likes to use the word persecution. We're talking about because you're living righteous. Someone is offended by it. Because you're standing for righteousness. Jesus, he says that. He says, when they, when they do it because of me, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you. Persecutely, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. What's he saying? He's saying that there is a special reward. Get this, a special reward, and you will see this in the book of Revelation about the martyrs. There's a special reward for martyrs. Maybe this is why the disciples found so much joy it being martyred, which is crazy because they, they had a value for heaven. And what we do when we feel persecuted and we might not even be persecuted, what we do is we fight it and we talk about how unjust it is. Instead of just going, you know, this is part of the thing. This is part of following Jesus. People are gonna hate me. Jesus said the world is gonna hate you because of him. He said that. He didn't say the world would accept you because of Jesus. Listen, if you think that Jesus is preaching acceptance here, he's not. Because he, he says this, they're going to kill you. They're going to falsely accuse you. But there's a special reward for you in heaven when that happens. So keep your eye on that reward. We shouldn't be surprised when we're ridiculed and ostracized for our Christian ethics. Of course, Jesus promised it. And he said that when that happens, there's a special reward for us. And it's not my job to go get the reward. It's his job to give it. So our goal is not to be adored by the world, but to have a life that Jesus blesses. And in that, we see the kingdom happen. We see the kingdom happen. So he goes on. Next verse, this is what he says, and this is the closing verse. He says this, you are the salt of the earth. Now, why is he saying that? Because he's just given us, this is how you're the salt. You're the salt by living these ethics. You're gonna be blessed by living these ethics. And the world will see and recognize, and this is what he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, not that kind of salty, <laughs> but can it be made salty again? No. Salt that loses its saltiness can't be made salty again. It's no good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. You are. Notice that Jesus is the light of the world and then he comes and he teaches us this gospel. He teaches us this message and he says, you wanna be the light of the world? This is the way that you do it. You pick the low road. You pick, you, you pick meekness and humility. You pick the righteous, narrow way. You pick it. You love people that are ugly to you. And in doing that, you're the light of the world because you're living just like I did. You're not the main light. I'm the main light, but you're little lights all over the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light this lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. I am putting you on display. 
and it will give light to everyone in the house. The world will see the goodness of God. The world will know who the children of God are in the same way. And this is what it says. In the same way, the same way that you don't hide that light is the same way that you would not keep these ethics. No, 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 we keep them. Why? Because we are being on display for the Lord. And he says, this, if we do it, the promise is this. If we will live the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle, if we will live by these blessed attitudes that God blesses, this is what he says. He said that they'll see your good deeds. What he calls good. will see your good deeds and glorify your Father. And help you.